Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSplitation.com and I'm joining my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we're back. We said that we're going to have a jam-packed schedule for the uh, September and October months and we definitely do. So we're doing every week um, for the rest of September and October, which we normally do for Halloween season. And of course, we wanted to get in the movie that we have on the show today because we did the last one. We did the, the first part of it. And... Um, Obviously, it's a good lead-in to the Halloween season. Um, of course, we're talking about It Chapter 2, which is in theaters now. And luckily, our theater was kind enough to not break down on us to let us go see this one. <laughs> if you remember when we tried to do the Child's Play remake, we weren't able to go to the theater because the projector broke down. This time, we were actually able to get there, and I had like bad dreams about like, <laughs> like maybe they're going to break down and... You know, the whole theater will go up in flames or something like that. Yeah. That would almost be a blessing. Outdo the re- the last time. Actually, you know it what? It would be a blessing because then we would have to like go drive out to drive Albany. Drive to Albany, yeah. yeah. The, the the one thing that I did notice, though, about It Chapter 2's theater was that they did put it in like the best theater in the house. It had the best sound system that I think our theater can can take. I don't even, to, I don't to even the, remember. To the point where I think Peebles fell down because of the, uh, the bass rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> the store in the mall that it's in. Mall. Yeah. The Very strip mall that it's in. So uh, Peebles. That, oh, that's still, going out of business. I was going to say, people still have Peebles. being overtaken by whatever company owns Peebles because they think that the company name or something is going to be better. So did you know that? No. Peebles is closing, but the company that owns Peebles will reopen a new store there that will be like Peebles but a different store name than Peebles. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. If Peebles isn't doing well, do you think that the other store with a different name will do well? I have like, like school shopping in like ninth This has now become the Neiman Marcus podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Talk about all the latest fashion trends. Yeah. Um, so, I don't think I've ever been in that, I haven't been in that uh, theater one in ages, because usually we get the back corner theater, even if we do see yeah. a film. Yeah, you not know, normally. Uh, on opening weekend, it's still like, eh. They rolled out the red carpet. You know, mm-hmm. like, here you go, it's chapter two. Everybody's coming to see it. And uh, to be honest with you, the theater was a little bit busier on a Sunday night than it normally is. Um, Monday night. Not mon- actually, yeah, you're right, Monday night. Got my days wrong. Yeah. I, I don't know where I am anymore. I was in Boston for the weekend, and I had Monday off, so I really have no idea what's going on. Um. But yeah, uh, It Chapter 2, we wanted to do that. Obviously, we did It Chapter 1 last time. Um, and if you remember correctly, back literally two years, two ago. years ago, uh, we did enjoy It Chapter 1. We thought it was pretty good. Um, for one thing, it does follow the book for the most part. And then it also has a good cast of kid characters that do a good job of the... Um, the writing that they were given from Andy Muschietti's uh, script and direction. And um, I, I don't rec- honestly, it's been so long. I don't recall like specifically what we said. And I obviously did not go back and listen to our episode, but um, c- do you remember exactly what we had said about the first one? I, I liked it. 
We, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, we, I think we both liked it quite a bit. That's the rendition. And if I look back at my rating on Letterboxd, um, I did give it four stars. So I imagine I gave it something like, and sometimes my ratings on the podcast don't actually match my rating, <laughs> that, my star rating that I give things. But I would assume I gave it like an 8.5 or something like that. I think um, we we're both like eight. eight yeah, and I, I enjoyed it. And I think there were a, a couple issues that we had with it. But for the most part, we were really down with it and um, thought it was a good you know, it had a good mix. It has a good mix of comedy. It has a good mix of scares. Um, and it was so it was a tense thing. And uh, I think they did a good job with Pennywise. Um, so we were we were pretty happy with the the first part of it. Chapter of, of it. Chapter one. Um, so obviously we want to take a look at it. Chapter two and see what they did and um, just finish out the six hours of movie that we ended up getting from this. <laughs> Because if you haven't noticed already, or if you haven't been to see the film, and if you haven't been to see the film, probably shouldn't listen to the rest of this episode. Uh, but it's three hours long, almost. It's like two hours and 50 minutes, which by the time you round up with previews and stuff like that, it's it's basically a three-hour movie that you're sitting in the theater for. So now that means that throughout this like summer, we've been at the theater for six, at least six hours watching Avengers and... It chapter two. It's probably the longest I've spent in that theater in a while. Forgot Spider Man. Like yeah, two two hours long. Two two something. Yeah. So we we spend a lot of time at the theater. But uh, it chapter two, yeah. So three hours for that film alone, and then the other film was about two and a half, I think. Right. Yeah. So we're, so we're we're clocking five and a half hours for the full the full double feature, and at that point, basically, that's a miniseries. That's that's like TV miniseries level of timeline. And I, I can't remember if it, the TV, the mini TV miniseries is, I think it's eight hours, right? I don't remember. Or is it six? I, I can't remember seven. now. I think, I think, think it was, seven. I think it was three parts. Did, no, it was two parts. Two parts? Yes. They did two parts of three hours? I believe so. Really? Hmm. Interesting. Surprised they were able to get people to sit that long during a no, session. That was, back, that was back then. You didn't have anything else to do. There was only three channels. You're like, what are you going to watch tonight? I'm going to have to watch it. That's the only thing on. (laughs) It's got Tim Curry. Oh, National Treasure. He's not American. Still a National Treasure, though. I loved him in Home Improvement. I loved him in... uh, (laughs) I'm just joking. As I said, I loved him in Wild Thornberry. That was me poking fun at the home TV watching crowd, thinking that Tim Curry was Tim Allen. Well, it was a really in-depth joke, so if you didn't get it, it's okay. <laughs> well, why, well why, why would you joke about that? Home Improvement's like the show of the 90s. I actually just I threw out a Jonathan Taylor Thomas reference yesterday. <laughs> I don't know why. Didn't even really make much sense, but I just did it. There's a, there's a woman in my, that works in my office, and her initials are JT. And I said, this says JT on it. And I was like, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Don't know where it came from. Maybe it's the fact that my dad reminds me of Tim Allen. Without the cocaine binge. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas reference. Where is that guy? Not in it, chapter two. <laughs> We're way <laughs> off base here. <laughs> Sorry. Getting back, getting back to the film in hand here. Way off topic here. Um, so, it, chapter two. Um, three hours long. Now, this is one that... Um, it foregoes the the normal switching back and forth of you know adults and kids that Stephen King's it did within the actual thousand something page novel. 
where you would kind of jump back and forth in time. You'd have parts where it'd be all kids, and you'd have parts where it'd be adults, and you'd kind of flip back and forth. And that's the same way that the miniseries worked. Flip back and forth between the two. Now, the it of the 2010s is mostly situated in one decade and then the other. So you have the kids in the first film and the adults in the second film. Um, And so this time around, we get slight snippets of flashbacks here and there, mostly to cue you in and say, hey, remember when this happened in the first film? Um, Because it has some bearing on this one. So it's almost like um, previously on it, chapter two. Um, that it works in that way, but um, for the most part, this is mostly situated on the adults, and um, we got a good cast here. We got Jessica Chastain, or you called Jessica Chesty, you, you called her Jessica Chesty in theater, and it's true. I mean, they do focus on the memories in in this film quite a bit. They make sure that she's wearing a little low cut shirt and she's running a lot, and sometimes in white, so that she can get all bloody. Um, you've got James McAvoy, uh, who has done some pretty good things lately. You know, um, <clears throat> Mullet seems to be making a comeback. Mullet? Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah. Well, between, you know, between, between him and, uh, Jay Ryan, they both, you know, competing for slick back, you know, nice greased, you know. Yep. And even then, I mean, they don't, they don't have the, um, the mullet capabilities of the guy in here that's like the antagonist character um that was the the like the bully in the first film bowers yeah bowers he has he has a ridiculous mullet in this one it's pretty awesome it's like a well he had one in his youth too. yeah that one that one is a really great mullet but james mcavoy's is like a cross between like a guy who's slightly balding who wants a mullet that's that's what he's got. He's holding on, so he's got. You know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he's got like he's got like a, a a slight hairline, but then the party's going on in the back for sure. That's where I'm headed. That's <laughs> where I'm heading with my hair. You know, and, and and I honestly like with his hair. I didn't really recognize him as much because did you see um, Split? No. Well, he's in Split, and he plays the Split personality character of uh, M Night Shyamalan's film, and he's bald in that one. He's he's got a shaved head, and I really didn't recognize him from that one to this one with all that hair. So, kudos to James McAvoy being able to play those different parts with his hair. <laughs> um, you got Bill Hader in here as Richie Tozier. Let's say, well, you know what? He's no Tilda Swin. That's true. Plays. Tilda Tilda's all over the place. Plays, you know. I think her next project, she's gonna do it's one person show. She's doing the whole Wizard of Oz by herself. <laughs> Every role. What about the flying monkeys? I, everyone. CGI <laughs> her face on everyone. <laughs> um, so you got, uh, so James McAvoy plays Bill, who's, uh, you know, the, the, in Stephen King's novel, the main character, the main um, youngster and then adult in that book. I wouldn't say that he's the main character in this one. He was the main character in the first film. He was the main character in the first film. And this one, this movie sort of flops all over the place between the different um, characters in it. So there's really not one main person, um, but they're, you know, they kind of switch back and forth over time. Although you could say that actually Ben, or um, not Ben, I'm sorry. um, There's so many names. Mike. Mike is like the ringleader who brings everybody back together. So I don't know. Maybe you'd say he's the uh, the main character of this one. But um, so you got James McAvoy. Bill Hader shows up as Richie Tozier. And uh, if you've seen 
any pictures of Bill Hader from this film, you know that he looks a lot like Finn Wolfhard. There's a really good, they did a really good transition from Finn Wolfhard as young Richie to Bill Hader as older Richie with that sort of like ring lock type hair. So I did like that. Um, and Bill Hader obviously brings a lot of comedy to the film. Probably one of the most prominent actors in this film uh, in, in terms of how much he stands out from the rest. Um, you've got Definitely the biggest name of the film. Uh, yeah, I would say like a big name. James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain are pretty big names too, but uh, I would say Bill Hader is one that like just stands out. Just you know. Oh, I forgot to say it. I wanted to thank our uh, house band tonight, um, the Blue Jean Committee, for showing up and playing Catalina Breeze. So thanks for that. Um, can't wait for that to get taken down for copyright infringement. Um, you got Isaiah Mustafa, who I don't know. Don't know any of his work. I'm not even going to click the IMDb link because I don't care to look it up. You don't want to fall down that yeah. rabbit hole. Jay Ryan is your, uh, you said your slick back hair, Ben Hanscom. That fucking goatee is awful. The no, go- one, no one at that board meeting when, you know, they're talking about building some sky rise in Nebraska or whatever the fuck and like cording it off. He's sitting there on his Skype call with, you know, the fanciest bourbon he can find. No one's like, listen, Ben, that goatee. It's not 1994. It's got to go. You know, it's got. You're not. You're not trying out for clerks. You're not Dante. Just It's kind of funny with the goatee too, because um, when it's not you, even connected. Well, when you see that, you're thinking like, this guy's the villain. <laughs> Screw Pennywise. This guy's like the. You know, he's a smarmy asshole that's going to be the the henchman. Well, you know the thing is, they're all smart. Well, outside of uh, Jessica Chastain, uh, when we see them as adults, they're you know. Her and Ben are the only kind of grounded ones. The rest of them kind of grow up to be assholes. That's true. Oh, I'm a famous writer, but I got shitty endings. And Peter Bogdanovich is telling me my endings suck. Which I was Peter Bogdanovich. Gotcha. Very, you know, very distinct king, you know. Um, James Ransone is uh, Eddie. He's he's grown he's up to be a fucking able- risk assessment, you know, for yeah. insurance. That's just, you know, screams like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, what's he driving? He's driving like a Lincoln Cadillac. Yeah. That thing, you know, gets in that accident, I have a scratch on it. <laughs> yeah, but the other car bounces off of it. Mm. Fucking total, but his? Not, no, nothing. He's fine. Yeah. That was an ad for Cadillac. Cadillac, some asshole can hit you when you're not paying attention, you'll be safe. It's fucking got, you know, better than American tanks. That's right. Um, but so, one thing that stood out to me about the, the amount of characters that we have. So we have, like, what? We have six people? Six, six, uh... Not counting Stanley because he offs himself. Part of the part of this book and part of the miniseries as well. Stanley kills himself. Can't he doesn't want to participate in coming back to uh, Derry to finish off it well, like they had. Would you? Would you want to go back to that? I would sh- want to shithole town. No. But so not counting Stanley, there are six six people, and five of them are insanely successful. They all just managed to, which is. Five more people than are successful in our group of friends. <laughs> so it does astound that, like, literally everyone in this group of people that, that grew up in shithole dairy with pretty much nothing in it have now become, like, the most successful people that are around. Like, 
Bill Hader's character, Richie, is driving some sort of... Mustang. Yeah, Mustang. He's a comedian, stand-up comedian. Stand-up comedian. Apparently consistently having stage fright, despite the fact that he's a really successful No, he doesn't comedian. have stage fright. It's because he's having the flash, you know, the memories of deer. deer so. I guess. That's why. I guess. That's what spooks him into choking on it, the stage. Um, as we said, Bill is our Stephen King set, uh, stand-in, who writes... Crappy, oh, yeah, he's totally a Stephen King stand-in. You know, crappy, writes crappy novels. I mean, not only is he a Stephen King stand-in just because... People tend to criticize Stephen King's endings. Well, I didn't even know that was a, really a thing. It is, yeah. Because I don't read his books, and I figured with how many people just absolutely love his books, and they constantly been made, like, every fucking one's been made over 3,000 times into a well, film. the real in-joke is the ending of It, because a lot of people have found It's ending to be really off-putting, in that it's sort of like, um, you have, like, a sort of an ancient world turtle beast thing that's that's what it is so a lot of people did not like the ending of it as book in book form and so the real treat that we get as viewers is to see james mcavoy as a as a writer who apparently ends his stories with very like downbeat endings and they all died yeah the end and and he meets with stephen king who is an like a antique shop person who apparently might be running something like Needful Things, which is another Stephen King novel uh, about an antique shop. And um, he, uh, so he, they meet up together. So that's a little, little uh, Easter egg for, for people there. It's not even a little one. It's not even a little one. And honestly, it's it's, it's kind of sad because like, this is more of like a, it's almost like the same thing as a Stan Lee cameo now, because Stephen King is looking kind of old. And because he is old, I mean, he is old, but it's saddening like to see that. Why wasn't he in Pet Cemetery? He is in Pet Cemetery. Oh, you mean the new one? The new one, yeah, the good one. He, John Lithgow, the good one. Is is that that why? Because they're like, oh, yeah, he wasn't, right? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. I was saying, is it because they hit their quota on old people? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. John Lithgow. I was gonna say, because he is in the original Pet Cemetery, he's not in the new one, but yeah, um. He, every movie he's in, he should just be in it and just be yelling, "It's meteor shit!" From like creep creep shit. show, yeah. <laughs> creep show. I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. But yeah, no, um, no, you're right. He is looking rugged, but you know, wouldn't you be rugged too if you're pumping out like three books a year? It's true. The publishers are cracking that whip on him. You think he's got a ghostwriter, like? No, actually, I don't think he has a ghostwriter. I don't think he has a ghostwriter because he keeps revisiting the same old shit all the time. That's why I don't think he has a ghostwriter. I just want to know who, and I know we're getting a little off the beaten path here, but I just want to know who the, who's the idiot editor and publisher who's like, you know what? We are going to print a thousand plus page book. So they're like, let's divide it up into volumes. Oh, you mean like with when it first released? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you know what? It did get, it was, so like, um. Actually, I don't think it was, but The Stand was abridged at one point, and then it was released in its long form, like 1,200 pages. So, at, at some times, I think they did question, like, are people going to read all of this? But I think that at the time, and I think it was released in 1989, if I remember correctly, um, there, I mean, I think at that point, they were like, you know what, Stephen King sells books, Stephen King can do what he wants. 
So they released it. I know, but if he sells books, wouldn't you think the publisher would be like, oh, we got to cut it down? Well, you know what? They did end up doing that so for The Green make, Mile. I was say, so we can make fucking money. The Green Mile was released in like six parts, like a six small, slight novella parts to it. So, yeah, they did end up doing that. They were like, you know what? This is a great way for us to split <laughs> these all up. Just milk that cow. Yeah. So they did end up doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're whew, way off topic. I don't even know what we were talking about. No, I do. The end. <laughs> and that's it. Um, all right. So we said James Ransone. So all of the six characters, they're very, very, uh, you know, there's a lot to the, to the characters themselves. And we learned a lot about them in the first film. Um, the one thing that we, the, there's a few things that we don't learn about them that much though. And the biggest one is about Bill Hader's character, Richie. You know, Richie is the character that gets the most dynamic development in It Chapter 2, and there's sort of an agenda there, but the agenda is, um, I would say that the characterization of Richie and where they're going with it is sort of hidden until the very end, when they actually reveal um, this element to Richie that has you know that we haven't really seen. I don't think it's as hidden as you think because the because of the opening. Yeah. Well, the only thing no, I, that I'll on. say about that is that the opening is in the book. No, but it may, but I mean with the, that opening where you know the gay couple, which I didn't even know they were kids. Man, they really look like they were kids. They looked like they were like twenty. Wait, hold up. They're supposed to be kids. I think like teenagers. Yeah. I don't think so. Well, why would Pennywise like be thirty going? years old at least? Well, why would Pennywise be going after them? Easy. Easy play. Yeah, but he goes after ch- you know children. Yeah, I mean, I think that the idea. I don't think they were really supposed to be kids, but I would say that like, the idea behind that is just that they were easier prey because they're. Um, yeah, I got nothing. I, I don't know why exactly, but yeah, that we don't normally see Pennywise go after somebody that is more of an adult. Anywho, with that opening of like you know the little ruffians beating the hell out of the two because they're gay and using you know homophobic slurs against them because they're gay, it's kind of like oh, someone's probably going to be gay. And you're going to find out like oh, you know mm-hmm. been hiding this my entire life. So. Because otherwise, there would be kind of no point. It may have been in the yeah. book, but that, like, right. it, there wouldn't right. have been a point, really, because they don't really, in either film, explore. Because I know in the book, as you brought up with the first one, because we talked about how with Mike in the first one, he's targeted because he's black. Yep. A lot of racism. Yeah. So, but not so much in the, in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's very strongly hinted at, but, you know, they're not going super overt. This is super overt. Right. So, even if it was in the book, if it was just thrown in the beginning, then they'd be like, well, why would you be throwing that in there? What's the message that you're trying to send? Because that would be the one and only scene where that's a thing. So, somebody's got to find out, you know, like, oh, they're, you know, hiding in the closet because of growing up in Derry and everyone's a shit bag asshole. Yeah. So. I mean, I th- I think that one of the things that the the two films it and it chapter two they don't really do that well is navigate the actual um bigotry that goes on in in dairy because yes we do see a few scenes where that occurs but for the most part dairy as a city especially in Ch- it chapter two it's is like barren yeah it's empty it's like a ghost there's town. like no one there 
And so you don't get the scope of the bigotry that you're supposed to get from dairy. And we get that in the first, like I said, you definitely get that more in the first one because they're all children going around the town and, you know, they're running into people, etc. Yeah. Here, after like, you know, outside that car, is everyone just at the carnival or something? Yeah. Which right. that's a trope. Just, that's a trope now that's been popping up in every fucking film. Gotta have like a winter fun fair, you know. It's like a J- Japanese anime slice of life episode. Gotta have the carnival episode where they all go to the festival. Yeah, it's funny because Stranger Things did the same thing. They have the July Fourth carnival, and you know you've got the holdover from Finn Wolfhard and and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, you got it's become, you had Shazam. They had that fight scene yeah, there, and the then Spy- in Spider Man, you had the same thing down. You know, it's a big. Uh, they filmed it all at the same location. <laughs> You're like. We're going to have, like, six films come in here and just have production crews on on for each one. Well, if you ever watch, like, the end credits, they're all getting filmed in, like, New Zealand or Toronto. It's like, hey, get that, you know, yeah. discount. Georgia. Yeah, yeah. So they probably are. Like, yes, well, we're all going to go to Toronto. We're all going to shoot at that one boardwalk. And, and the carnival that's going on there. And call it a day. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I do think that they could have done a better job of, especially... In, in it chapter two of making it, you know, gi- giving a little bit more perspective on dairy because dairy as a whole seems very empty in this movie. Uh, it seems like they had no extras. They had nobody to like put in, um, in, in any other exterior scenes. And there's an entire like carnival going on and there's a parade going on. And, uh, you just really don't get the sense that dairy is a, a, you know, blossoming community or anything like that. And you don't have any of that development. So the, the first scene does really seem like a weird, uh, it's a good, it's a good opening, oh, but, yeah. they, but they don't go anywhere with it. Yeah. Cause again, if you go off the, like the whole, like it feeds off of fear and like anger, you could use that, you know, as like, Oh, that's why everyone in dairies, you know, dairies, you know, a as racist, it, homophobic, you know, asshole. As it stands, that that's opening scene while very good almost plays out exploitatively because they don't ever come back to it. They don't have a callback to it at all. No one ever says anything like, you know, someone murders, you know, those people. They literally well, nobody, is, well, I was saying, nobody cares in the town because obviously those kids just feel like they're, they're free to fucking huck some asshole. Yeah. You know, like after beating bludgeon, which, by the way, after the ass whooping they gave that guy, very surprised at how his face and was beaten to a pulp. Able to breathe and like be conscious. That always happens in movies. Floating down the river. No, he should have just been, you know, washed up aside and like Pennywise, like, look what I found. <laughs> yeah. No one's skull <laughs> ever bounces off. You know, their brain doesn't ever bounce off their skull like in normal life or anything like that. They they just are, you know, a little bit bloodied. Well, I think there there is a movie that, you know, shows that, but Yeah. American history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that the the opening scene, while very good, and I think it was uh, played effectively during the scene itself, I, I just think that without calling back to it throughout the film, like it just seems like a weird um, inclusion in this movie until you get to that part about Richie, because that's like that's all the only connection besides Pennywise. There's the only connection to the entire element of yeah. them being bullied and and things like that. Um, you never see him again. And the other thing about that, that scene that I do like is that, um, normally you wouldn't expect somebody to be, you know, just, just destroyed in a, in this fight and then thrown into the water and then, you know, then also killed by Pennywise. Like that's a really terrible fate for that guy. And you wouldn't normally expect that. So it's a, a very, um, 
dark and foreboding opening to the film that sort of seems at odds with the rest of the film because a lot of the film is very comedy based and you're not you don't get a lot of the um the darker tense scenes that were in the first film it's a lot more comedic than the first one yeah they definitely play up the whole aspect of Richie being a jokester and playing off of Eddie, who is also – James Ransone does a really good job, just like Bill Hader does with the, the comedy elements. I think they both do a really good job playing off of each other. But that comedy is sort of at odds with the rest of the film and its own counterpart at Chapter 1. It seems like they went a little bit – they leaned a little too far into the comedy – and sometimes that comedy is unintentional. Well, I, th- I think it's because Bill Hader said, I'm getting paid by the joke, so um, we're, we're going to have a lot of fucking jokes. I'm going to throw them in there. Yeah. yeah. And just sprinkle, Bill, that's not in the script. Don't care. Getting paid by the joke. Need that money, not an SNL anymore. Gotta get, the, gotta get that money. I mean, I get it. Like, <laughs> realism, you'd probably want to be joking because otherwise you'd be terrified of Pennywise. But... I think that the comedy just kind of clouds the rest of the scares. And at the same time, too, it's very hit or miss because it's so rapid fire. Not everything's a winner. Mm -hmm. You know, so you do get like some funny lines and then some other ones you are just kind of like, eh. I'll tell you one scene that stuck out to me as being a really, really odd inclusion in this movie is when Eddie is being confronted by the leper in the pharmacy. That's just, I don't know what happened. I don't, I, I don't know, because I was watching, like I said, before I, I uh, came over to do this, I was watching Half in the Bags review of this, and they were talking about that, and they're like, they, and they were saying, like, was it an, ed- like, were they realizing as they were editing the scene that it's, that it's not scary, so they're trying to make it fun, because it's such a blip on the radar, like, it's, that's a really weird scene that, that's, crops out of nowhere it almost plays out like a commercial for cvs <laughs> you know like get your flu shot or this will happen you know and then they, because the the whole element of having um angel of the morning play for literally like two seconds just two seconds it's so and never of, return again it's so out of place because the rest of you have like foreboding music and like what's going on and, uh, and then like you have this like little evil dead 2 moment where you know, ah, it's dead eye, like, you know, throwing up on yeah. you with the music playing, and then it just goes back to, it, it's totally jarring. Like, it would have so been fun, like, if they had, like, the song playing, like, as, like I said, uh, when I was watching Half in the Bag, they were talking about it, they were saying if they had, like, that song playing throughout, it'd make more sense, and it might be, like, ha-ha, funny, but the fact that it's just, it's just there, it's like this one little thing, it's so, like, what, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, it's, it, I mean... I just didn't understand it. It it seemed so out of place, and it and that callback to like using music as a a comedic moment never returns again. So it seemed like a really weird pick for that one scene in particular to have that moment because it's just never it never returns. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It you know either played up as a comic moment and maybe play that song for an extended period of time. Or just don't play it at all and just let it go as its own, you know, scare moment. Because none of the other scares play up sort of the comedy of it, or not intentionally at least. So this one in particular, 
was just really weird. And even that scene, it almost felt like somebody else directed it. Like Andy Muschietti didn't direct this par- this just particular a, part of the scene. Second unit was yeah. out there. And like, yeah. You know. Se- yeah, second unit was there, and they were like, you know what, we're going to do this. And then there was also that scene at, when he leaves the pharmacy where he's like, oh, it it it, it opens from, it, it, I think it like pushed, not pull or something like that, right? When, yeah. he, when he's trying to get out of the pharmacy and he's like, oh, thank you. Like that whole scene, was just super awkward. It just didn't work very well. The, the the tying to that, I think, is the fact that a lot of these like scenes like that totally unnecessary. Did we, especially for the fact that this is a fucking three hour film mm-hmm. and it's a three hour film that has no story essentially. Everything's just wandering and meandering. It's a three-hour film because we have to watch every character go 15 minutes on there. We're going to look for an artifact. Yeah. And then we have their, you know, scare sequence, which is literally almost verbatim from the first film. And then they have a flashback to something that happened to them when that we didn't see in the first film because they weren't together at that moment. And the scares they, that happen are literally... Stuff that we've basically kind of seen from the first film. So it's all just totally redundant. Yeah. And it makes for a very, like, boring and slog, like, to get through. I I would say it's worse because you know, like, okay, we got six characters. So when they first start to do that looking for the artifact, you're like, okay, well, maybe they'll, like, you know, they'll do a quick one. And then you watch and you see, like, they already did two artifacts with jump scares and one like it's a big scene for this character to find their artifacts so you're like shit i've got to sit through six of these and as i was uh, saw online too this is the horror film of avengers infinity war yeah basically it's it is. Know, three hours and you have to watch every fucking character go on their little mini yeah. journey and that's why kind of getting back to how we were talking about, you know, Stephen King not knowing how to fucking trim something down and talking about it being a miniseries. This would have worked so much better as just a fucking Netflix series. You could have definitely devoted an episode to each character. Yeah. That's, that, that is much better suited to a TV show because you can, to, you can, you, you have a chance to, to kind of take a step back and say, okay, I watched that episode. I'm going to like take a break and I'll come back to it. Or you can just plow through yeah, it. Yeah, or you can plow through it. But but having to sit through it in a movie in three hours where you really, you're like, you're thinking like, oh man, you know, I saw two of these and now I've got to wait another 45 minutes for anything else to happen besides them finding their artifact. That's a little bit of a, it's a slog to get through. And and I think that, you know, that's that's an issue with this film is that it should not feel like you have a chore ahead of you. You should not feel like you have to um, just get through this moment to get to the next one. I think that they should have cut out or at least really cut down on the scares because some of them during the artifact scenes are just way too long. There's chase sequences, there are buildups, and it's just way too long to, to, to get to the point where you're just like, okay, they found their artifact. Well, not only that, a lot of the scares too rely on this whole film compared to the first one is nothing but jump scares. Yeah. So, like, from a horror element, it's not even tense. Like, everything that happens that's kind of tense is everything that happens in the background of, like, something that's about to happen. 
So, like, when Bev's having her little artifact hunt at her old apartment, when, you know, you see the old lady in the background kind of, like, skulking about and all of that, that's, like, you know, tense. But when then you actually get to see the good old CGI bo- old lady saggy boobies and running around, that's not, you know, that's... Honestly, I thought I even thought the the whole Bev sequence with seeing the lady do some break dancing in the background was super comical. Like I didn't think it was scary at all. It was just funny because it it was not played out very well. And and I've seen some films that have old older women characters who are like um, a stand in for being scared of like people patients with Alzheimer's or things like that. You know, pe- real real life things. Um, that actually work, like the taking of Deborah Logan. That's a scary film. That's a that has a an older lady who is actually scary. And this one, I would say that like they they didn't do a good job of setting up that old lady to do some. No, like, she's no, no, she's, know, no like, she's not. But like I Japanese said, style ghost movements. Yeah, no, you're right. She's not. But I think like the interesting stuff, the stuff that happens in the background, you know, that you can see like when they're focusing on Bev and you can just see vaguely in the background like her kind of skulking about or like when Richie time stops for Richie and you, you see in the background everyone stopped and paused and then it's ruined by Pennywise come floating down oh Richie's going to secret Richie's going to secret or, or a giant Paul Bunyan yeah slamming his axe down yeah or just like oh here's this you know these fucking like dump these cookies start you know Chinese cookies fortune cookies fortune yeah. cookies just start like oh they're like little spider things now ooh yeah. that's straight out of the book but I just think it doesn't translate well like you just because the film relies so much on heavy CGI and in this one I think it looks a lot worse than the first one I would have like re- their budget got totally so I'll, squandered I'll give you an example because we sound very harsh on this movie but I'll give you an example where I think that the tension did work in it chapter two. The scene where Pennywise meets the girl underneath the bleachers mm-hmm. and he's kind of like being manipulative of her because she has a um, uh, like a birthmark on her face. So he's saying, oh, I don't I didn't want to come out in the, the light because I'm also, you know, ugly. So I, I really didn't want you to make fun of me. And he lures her through the bleachers to him and then chomps her face off. I thought that was a pretty good moment because it doesn't really rely too much on CGI you're relying on a realistic situation, and obviously this realistic situation is built on the reality of kids trusting strangers because they offer them something. So that that's that's what that's Pennywise's mo, really. I no, you're right. That's a tense scene. I just don't like that in this film. He's running around fucking just gobble 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 gobble. gobble. Yeah, chomping down people. You know, I mean that's that. I think that tenseness of that scene's kind of ruined by him. Of ooh, what eat you? Yeah, yeah, it'd be more mischievous, for, you know, for him to dispose of her in a different way. Yeah, because we don't see we don't see that in the first one. You don't see you know Georgie getting eaten by him or anything like that. Yeah, he, he pulls him down yeah. obviously into the sewers, which is his his uh or his layer layer. Yeah. But I yeah, the whole like in this one we actually see him. And same thing with the gay kid that gets you know washed out of the river. You know, we get to see him eat him and, mm-hmm. and the little boy in the fun house. It's all like just It's a little much. Contrived. Yeah. I think they showed a little they wanted to show a little bit too much in this one. They wanted the gore um with the tension and it just doesn't work as much. I think if they left that like that and they had him snatch her or something like that, it would have been a little bit more effective. Because you only see the disappearance. You don't see the you know, the aftermath. 
So I, I, I thought that was a good tense scene, something that they should have done more within the film rather than rely on CGI and very action-based um, effects to have this like suspenseful moments. And I, I just think that's, it's not super scary. It's, it's not, and, you know, and, and I say that, but a movie doesn't, a horror movie doesn't need to be scary, but when it's three hours long and it relies on jump scares, it better be fucking scary. Or have a or plot. Have a, a good plot, yeah. <laughs> like I said, which, again, this is a three-hour movie where there is no plot. It's just... Stuff! And, yeah, it's... the first film, but they're all adults now. And then ma- and they're trying to remember. That's that's literally it, really. And Mike's the only one that can remember because he stayed in Derry. He never left. The other thing that really irked me about this movie is that they sort of fashion a new reason or a new, they basically, they make an artifact for Richie. There wasn't really, um, in the, the novel, like, first of all, Richie's not really the character that's gay in the novel. Um, but the other thing is they make this, uh, this arcade moment for Richie, the, the moment where he is in an arcade and he's playing with his friend, uh, on the arcade machine and street fighter, by the way. And um, then his friend sort of turns on him once he sees Bowers and uh, sort of like, you know, makes up a scenario and it really affected him throughout his life. So his artifact is uh, just a, a arcade token. But my, my biggest gripe with that scene is the film that that all takes place in 1989. And somehow they got a Mortal Kombat <laughs> arcade machine and that didn't come out till 92. So, yeah, you know, that's that's my biggest gripe. But that doesn't really ever happen in the novel. And in the novel, the more important scenario that happened to Richie was that he went to a sh- um, a showing at the theater. And obviously, this was in the 1950s because they kind of swapped the, the time periods a little bit um, for this movie. But he went to the theater to see a werewolf movie. And a werewolf actually comes to life in the theater by, you know, from it. And that becomes... The reasoning why they are able to vanquish it because he realizes like what can kill a werewolf can also it's my belief of what can kill a werewolf that can kill it as well. I can kill him by my belief. And so that is like an important moment in the novel that doesn't ever really show up in the movies. It's not in the first movie. It's not in this one. It does. Not the whole, but the belief does because you have um, Eddie, right? The hypochondriac. Right. He's the one because Bev tells him with the the old fence post, like, this has the power, you know, to kill monsters. And he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, if you believe hard enough. Which is also something that kind of sucks about this film, too, is the fact that the whole end fight scenario, it's the same goddamn thing from the first one. Yeah, I, they just have to realize, we just have to believe hard enough that it has no power over us. I really did not like the ending, because I felt like that was... Super contrived. And what I actually wanted from the ending was something more akin to the things that Bill had been talking about in his writing throughout the uh, the rest of the film. I was expecting um, the film to actually go a little bit darker than it does because, you know, Bill for throughout most of the film is talking about his endings and he's very he said they're you know, everybody says they're very bleak. That he has a worldview that is not all happy endings. That that sometimes endings add poor, end poorly, and I thought that they were going to go in that direction for it, where 
something would happen at the end where they figure out, oh yeah, you know, there is really no way to get rid of it. Like it is here to stay happens every 27 years and there's not much that you can do about it. So even though they made a pact and they came back, like I I wanted to see at the end that like it was going to come back no matter what, no, no matter what they did, you know, getting, getting rid of the deadlights and whatever, it still comes back. And that it doesn't go in that direction, I think, is sort of a a failure of the film because it just seems like it's just such a perfect ending that they can they can just will this thing away and it just goes away. And that's it. Like, no problems. Just it doesn't exist. We think it doesn't exist. We we are not fearing it anymore. So it doesn't exist. I think, too, it's supposed to add to, like, the whole, like, overarching story of, like, this is what being an adult's about. Accepting things out of your control and not letting them get to you and just fucking dealing with it. Right. Just, just, which, which makes for a not so great, who gives a shit, you know, point. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I mean, I wish it went a little darker. I mean, yeah, obviously we lose Eddie, spoiler alert. But, um, I just think that, like, the end of the film, and, and obviously, you know, it sort of matches the, uh, the, the novel. I think the end of the film is just a little too neat. It just, you know, it 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 ends in much the same way as the the kids' version, and there's not that much here that you know has stakes to it. Once they once they beat it, that's it. Gone for twenty seven or gone forever, rather than twenty seven years. And it's an ancient evil that has been around for millennia. Just seems too neat to me. Well, not only that. I mean, just, I mean, the stakes in it don't really feel that high because all the, because compared to the first one where the child actors make, you know, their fear feel very believable. Here, it's just, you know, and the fact that most of the scares in this film are nothing but jump scares. The stakes, the lack of tension makes it, you know, hard to feel like these characters are ever in any real danger. Well, one thing I think that makes it feel like that, too, is that Pennywise is always, like, there and one step ahead of them and yet never does anything to them. Like, I mean, obviously he tries to scare them, but the actual threat of Pennywise doing something to them when he could obviously do something to them is just not there. I think that's uh, one of the major missteps. And you said, you know, you talked about the lack of tension in this movie, but I think that's part of it is that we know, like... Pennywise isn't going to do anything to anybody until the end of the film. There's no real setup that would make us think like, okay, something big is going to happen. It's like, it's kind of like the walking dead where, you know, <laughs> like Rick's just going to ride in. Right. Like, you know, like all of your main characters are fine at least until the season finale. And then there might be something or, there that the season opener. Right. It's sort of like that where you, you, you know, and, and it plays out exactly that way in it, chapter two, you know, where everybody is fine until the very end. And that's a, and that's a perfect uh, way to describe it too, because it's like a Walking Dead story episode. Like Carol gets lost, meets up with somebody, has a change of heart. The other people she meets doesn't. They end up to a terrible fate. She goes back to the way she was, and that's how like the artifact hunt is. Like when they're all doing it, it's like. Oh, I should be thinking of, oh, I'm having memories. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, Pennywise. Oh, now we're back to the hotel. Yeah, I mean, it just, I I just, a lot of times I just felt kind of exhausted by the film. That it was just, it kept on going. 
the ending feels extremely long. It feels like it goes on forever. Um, and it's one of those films that suffers from the extended uh, chase sequence. You know, those chase sequences that are meant to be suspenseful and yet play out for way longer than they need to. And that's exactly what happens with It Chapter 2. You have an entire... Se- I, I, would, I think like the entire 50 minutes at the end of the film are devoted to going into Pennywise's lair almost. And it's that's nowhere near as fun and interesting it's, as yeah, the first time. That's through. way too long because it's almost like a video game except you're not playing it. It's like, okay, we're all right, we got rid of Pennywise. Oh, wait, he's coming back. <laughs> it's like another boss for him. Yeah, he's like, all right, so Pennywise the Clown is gone. Half Clown, half Spider is back. And then, you know, you have multiple phases. And it just, it's just... I think it's it's exhausting. Now, my question for you is because they, we see a picture of this nice smiling Swedish man from the carnival. So why is Pennywise linked to him? Did he kill him and like take like you know like oh he's a creepy looking fucker? So I'm gonna be look like him for now. I, ge- on. I guess like the film doesn't really make that clear, and it, it also says that Pennywise has a daughter, and it's the daughter that is the woman that torments Bev when she goes to her house. Um, I don't know that the film really ever... It doesn't. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it just it's kind of Just like, when Bev's in the house and she's talking about it, like, oh, there's a nice old, old-timey old picture. I'm like, oh, that looks a lot like Bill Skarsgård. Oh, it is a Bill... Oh, yeah, yeah just kind of... I don't know if it's supposed to just give a reason for the form of Pennywise or what, but... Um, you know this one's been working good for two hundred years instead of flying demon owls scaring the natives. You know, yeah, I just you know, um, I I don't really know the reasoning behind it. It just doesn't make that very clear. Not sure if I'm a fan of the whole idea that it came from outer space, especially when there's a lot of like uh, Lovecraftian horror going on. Why not just have it be something from like another dimension? Mm-hmm. You know, because again, like when the whole like, oh, don't look into the eyes and lights of, it, you know, the whole like jagged teeth, other dimension. That's like very, and like tentacles and shit coming out. That's like Lovecraftian. Um, it's all hell. What I wanted to see is something like um, that. It's that it is actually part of the universe's plan to like correct things because we know that dairy is sort of a shitty place, or at least you're supposed to get that feeling. That I don't think comes across very well in the movies. But in the book, you know that Derry's a really shitty place. And so it could potentially be, if you wanted a very downbeat ending, uh, the universe's way of correcting that by saying, you know what? This shitty place, we're going to put it here. And every 27 years, sort of fixes things. You know, not in a a (laughs) nice way, but it fixes things. And that would be a really devastating ending that you end on the note. And especially for a mainstream movie like it chapter two, where you have a lot of theater goers and people who don't really want to think about movies and they just want to watch it. Um, that would be a really tough ending, like sort of like the mist level of endings <laughs> where you're like the universe is inherently evil like, or bad or at least not uncaring. It's uncaring. Well, that's a great ending. Yeah, I think it is. That's the way I would have done it. I know a lot of people don't like that, but I think it's a great ending. The universe is uncaring. It does not care about you. And it is just trying to fix the status quo. And that's it. That's how you end it. And, you know, that's what it was. It's the universe's way of 
you know, balancing things. And that's it. That that would be a really downbeat ending, and I can see why they didn't go with it. Because you could have done something like that too, and have like because Mike stayed in Derry the entire time, like him bringing them back as like uh, him bringing like you know kind of being like a Sutter Kane like type character who like lures them in, and you know was like I forged you, you know, right? You're all getting sacrificed, you know. Like people don't really like that idea. Like people don't like to think about the universe as uncaring. They like to think about there's a god and God is real is all seeing and he has a plan and you know, just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean that they're gonna happen forever and stuff like that. People don't like to think about the fact that like maybe the universe doesn't really care about you. And I feel like people just would not like that ending. And it's not something that happens much in movies in general. I wouldn't. I would say that most movies don't have a downbeat ending where like the all-out terrible thing happens. But I have to agree with Bill Denbro. I mean, realistically, it chapter two should not end on a very happy note that everybody was able to just believe that it doesn't exist or it's not scary and it works and it goes away forever. I would have much rather seen something like this is just the universe at work and he can't get rid of it. And 27 years down the road, it's going to come back again. So maybe just, you know, it's better to leave and forget. Maybe if we, maybe if we stayed for the end Christ, we would have heard like Pennywise laughing or something like he's coming back again. Oh, this, they killed him again with, um, thinking he was small, but again, it's this, literally the same thing they did in the first film Mm. and it wasn't enough you know that would be also interesting too if the film ended like they thought that they vanquished pennywise because of that and we know that throughout the chapter two they did not remember what they did because they had they were so far from the proximity of dairy that they started to forget everything that they did so it'd be kind of funny if they did that and they thought they won and literally again they did not win. And it just keeps happening. It's like a cycle that just keeps happening. Again, that'd be another downbeat ending that I'd be down with because that's very realistically terrible. I like it. I like it's an, those. It's an evil greater than, their, than I, themselves. I, I like those evil endings. It's great. So you love the ending to Into the Mouth of Madness. Uh, yeah, I love that. And every, Everyone's just fucked. There is not very many movies that are just, you know, they go hog wild with like, yeah, bad things happen, and this ending is that. This is a bad ending. I was gonna say you would have liked the the alternate cut ending to Little uh, Pet sh- uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Then everybody's eaten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like those. No, endings. Rick Moranis for you. He's dead. Yeah, I like those endings. I do. I think they're more realistic, at least because think about it. Pennywise is ultimate evil that's been eating and killing people for. Millennia. What well, I also don't understand too is apparently the Native Americans trapped him before or something in their little rice cooker thing. I guess that's yeah. all I can think of too is that little artifacts made me think of like dra- or the original Dragon Ball. Like, how did Master Roshi defeat Piccolo? Oh, they put him in a fucking rice cooker, you know? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know what that was. It, I like because they like they acted like it's been done before. Like you know, because that's I, how Mike was talking. I guess like, that was like Mike's like fake out. Like he just made them think that that would work. Because he thought it would, but yeah, I don't know. Just a just maybe a, a trap. Maybe it traps it, but it's like on a cycle. Only does it for like five hundred years, and he gets released. You know, because the magic, the, the mad, the shamanism won't hold for that. You yeah, know? here's the thing. I mean, smarter people than these six 
have attempted this before, and it didn't work. <laughs> How dare you? They're all very successful. They are very successful. That's for sure. But uh, now you mean well seven. The odds now knocked down to five. The the odds are against them. Let's just say that the odds are against them. What do you think of the thing homage in this? I thought it was pretty good. I think they did a good job with actually doing, even though it's CGI and it's not the practical effects that the thing has. I thought I thought they did a good job with making it look very similar. Um, is it, I was say, is it even an homage, or is it just downright? You know, they homage it by stealing by beat by beat because you even have Bill Hader saying, you know, you gotta be fucking kidding, you know. And the same exact, you know, silhouette shot from behind the head and the legs popping out, and, you know. I like to think of it as an homage. Um, although, at the same time, you're kind of thinking, like, as an homage, you would more expect a Stephen King thing. You wouldn't really expect a thing thing. So. Because after that, I remember what I said, I was like, oh, all you need now is Bill Hader running around with a fucking flamethrower, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty good job. I don't know. Like, and then the other thing is that they do throw in homages to Stephen King's other works. Like, we get a Shining homage, which I did not like. It was very forced, but at least it's there. You have the, you know, you saw that, right? With the, with the door opening and, you know, the Johnny's, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. that, that whole that homage was, yeah, that is was, very forced and very shoved in there. Like, how do we get, how do we get a Stephen King, you know... Oh, and not, well, not only that, too, like, because it's like the face changes are very, like, bad CGI looking, so it's right, like, right. Know, open up! Open up! Here's Johnny! Open the, up! The, open the, up! The better thing that I liked is having Stephen King play an antique shop's owner, because that's an homage that doesn't really call itself out. It does not like saying, this is needful things! But at the same time, people who know it are like, needful things. You know? So, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought that the Shining reference was really forced. The Thing it's, reference it's was great. there, I was saying, but... I was saying it's great, too, because I just, I just love the fact that Stephen King doesn't like The Shining. The film. The film, yeah. yeah. Stanley Kubrick's film, yeah. I just love that. <laughs> but, I mean, I thought, I thought it was, was alright. I, I, didn't, I didn't mind it. Um, Were there any others? I didn't see, like, anything else, like Christine or, you know... Not that I can recall, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most of those other, most of the other things, not so much. But just the thing and the shining reference. What I don't get is the night, the nightmare on Elm Street reference when the theater had um, that Richie goes into for his to get his little token. Yeah, it was part five, right? The yeah, dream, the dream child. Which well, that wasn't even out in eighty nine, was it? Um, I think it was actually out in eighty nine. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I know it makes sense because it's a new line film, but I mean, overall, it's just, I don't know, kind of weird. I don't, I'm not really sure, you know, so in, um, I think it's five, I can't remember. Because, as I say, um, after, uh, five is, uh, New Nightmare, right? Or is there another one in between? Um... Because I was saying, because New Nightmare would be 93. I don't think there's that big of a gap in between all of them. I think there was a gap, but not... It's like, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, oh. is, the, is the next one, yeah. Um, honestly, I'm not really... I can't really remember. It's been a while since I've seen him, but... Um, it's probably bad, actually. I don't want to admit this. So, one of the two, and both of them have the same characters in it, and... Uh, 
I know that part four has Banana Rama's song in it, which I love. She's <laughs> practicing karate to it. But in one of them, um, the main character, the final girl, is able to sort of take powers from every person. Mm-hmm. And Dream sort Warriors, of, isn't it? No, no, that's, a, that's three. That's three. Patricia Arquette. Uh, but it's a similar scenario, but in, in this, and she's able to take powers from each of her friends that are murdered mm-hmm. and then they sort of become like the ultimate fighter that can fight against Freddy. So I think the, the reference is just that you can fight against them because like you believe in yourself and you believe that they're nothing like in comparison. So I, I, I think that's, I think that's ultimately what they were going for there. Now I can't remember if that's four or five because, like I said, they both have same kind the, of. like this the same characters and it's like a sequel to each other. So I can't remember which one it was, but I know that they ref in this one. It's they're saying it's part five, the Dream Child. So one thing that um, does stand out to me is that both it chapter one and chapter two really downplays the uh, molestation stuff that happens to Bev. Um. Because you know, in the first one, her her father's obviously abusive. And his, I think, like I, I think I asked you if that happened in the book because they're not definitely not overt about it. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's, it's definitely like from what well, he does, it, it seems like he is. But at the same time, it just seems like from the way they play, he could just be obsessive because his wife's right. dead, and yeah. you know, in the novel, like he's like so concerned that Bev had sex that he wants to check her hymen. To make sure that it's still intact. So, like, that's the level of, like, obsessive molestation sexuality that's going on in her life. And, um, in this, in the films, it doesn't really come up that much. Like, you're right. It seems more like he, I mean, he's abusive, obviously, but he's not, you know, there's not the whole sexual molestation issue. And then even so, like, her husband in this one has really, like, slight role. But in the film, in the mood, and I'm saying that film movie they're the same thing uh in the book the actual you know the abusiveness of bev's life is sort of the uh precursor to what she becomes as a as a fighter for for it chapter two so i feel like those are really downplayed i wanted to see those a little bit because i understand you know we are, we're working on a thousand page book but you got six hours to do it and there and the film spends a lot of time with each character especially it chapter two working through each character's artifacts so would have made this a much better mini series. I agree. I mean, I think that they they needed to take each character and sort of give them an episode, give them a you know a full. Um, that way you could it would you could have bounced like done like the book, bounce back and forth from childhood to adulthood. You know. Yeah, and that's oh, that's that's what I wanted to mention too before we before we kind of wrap this up. The both it chapter one and two would have been better off bouncing back and forth in flashback scenarios between adults and kids. It should not have been broken up between one movie is kids and one movie is adults. It just doesn't work that well because as we see in it chapter two, one of the reasons why the film is so long is because it needs to revisit flashbacks that we've already seen in the first film and also stuff that we didn't see but also stuff that's very ancillary like again when they were together and they were on their own after they had their big fight in the first film and then we have these chase sequence scares yeah they're very redundant yeah they and they again they, they're not tense they're not scary so 
it's moot. And you're right, I don't think, though, if they were to jump back and forth, again, you'd have to have a miniseries, because if you did that over two films, it wouldn't work. It'd be jarring. So, and I think this structure works better as a two-part movie act, but at the same time, I think all the, most of your interesting things are what happens during their childhood. So now in this film, you just left over, like, well, we're doing the same damn thing, but they're adults now. And haha, it's funny, because Bill Hader's here saying, fuck, 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 you know. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, to me, the biggest problem with this. Because, again, at least if you had a miniseries, you could jump back and forth because it's a TV show. It makes more sense, you know, to be able to do that narratively. You can, you know, go at your own pace. You have a lot more time to flesh out your story that you want to tell. Here, again, this movie just, even though I don't think anyone has, like, a bad performance or anything, it's just nowhere near as interesting as the first film. Yeah. You know, the spunkiness and all of that with the kids and what they have to overcome as children is a lot more interesting and exciting and a better story overall. It offers a lot more character development than what this film does. Because literally the only character who has, I mean, they all come to like, oh, you know, just kind of like adulthood, yay. But the only person who has any development in this film is Richie, really. Whereas in the other film, everybody has some form of development. and. So, you know, it's the stand by me, but with clowns. Yeah, I agree. It is stand by me. It is very much stand by me in the way that it plays out, especially the first film. I mean, the first film itself was really stand by me in, the, in its elements. But in chapter two, I mean, it has a similar idea at play. Um, I just wish that we didn't have to have so many redundant flashbacks that we already saw or or things that could have been expanded on in the the first film and just, you know, touched on there instead of having to come back to it again and again and, and, and adding a lot of time to this runtime at three hours. Almost it's, it's just a little bit unacceptable. So that's pretty much it. That's all I got for it. Chapter two. I think we, you know, we kind of sound down on it. Um, that we we didn't love it. I think we just, I feel bad because I feel like we pointed out a lot of flaws in it and I actually don't dislike it that much. It's just that the flaws really are more prevalent than the good stuff in the film. I think it does some things right, but I think more so it's, you know, it's, it's a really mediocre film and, and expecting more from it in terms of scares and stuff like that. Um, because of the first film. Well, I don't think also the two-year hype train did it any That good. is true, too. Doesn't yeah. any good either. You yeah, know? yeah. There's a lot going into it. Um, a lot of expectations. And that's, that's, that's always tough to navigate. I think even as, like, a standalone film, if this was just about adults who run into this, and you took away, like, their flat, like, a lot of the unnecessary flashbacks, I still don't think it's as good as the film as the first one. Hmm. Yeah, I I think that's true. I don't think it's as good as the first one. I think the first one focused... I mean, obviously it did have some humor to it with the kids, but it focused less on the humor. And I think that's that's what you want in a horror film. You don't want to have to lean on humor as a crutch because because you realize that your your scares aren't really that good. And it feels like that's what It Chapter 2 is doing. Um, So do you want to give this thing a rating? Should yeah, we, should we? Um, 
I gotta have a scale though. On a scale of one to ten, I'm trying to think, what would be a what's a on a scale of one to ten rice cookers that trap the deadlights? <laughs> what would you give it? Chapter two. I'll let you go first. This time. Okay, you want me to go first? Yes. All right. Um, I would give it a three. I I think that no, I'm sorry. <laughs> A three out of five, I would give it a six out of ten. Um, I think that it chapter two is, is yeah, I was about to yeah, say, that was like that's like really fucking yeah. Whoops. So say I don't even think you give Mako a three. No, <laughs> three stars, a, five, a six out of ten. That's uh yeah, that's what I meant. Um, I think that it chapter two is an okay movie. I think it's it's mediocre. Um, I think that it does what it does okay. But the CGI isn't great and it relies on it like constantly. Um, it's scares are really just not there. And the tension should be a little bit heavier than what they give us. And it's broken a lot by comedy. That's really unnecessary. Um, while I love Bill Hader, I love what he does. I think he does a good job as Richie. Um, this was not the film to have that in. I don't think that we needed the the amount of comedy that we get from Richie. So while he does a great job, it's sort of um, at odds with the rest of the film. And that kind of comes into play multiple times. And like we talked about with the leper vomiting on Eddie, um, that whole scenario is really um, just off tone from the rest of the film. I, I don't think it works. So we have these really weird sequences that don't really work in a film. And, you know, you've got three hours to kill. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on in It Chapter 2. So I guess a couple of scenes that don't really work is it doesn't seem like that much. But when it constantly pulls away from the tension and suspense that should be generated from a character like Pennywise and, and uh, the tone of the film, I just think that that's a really major flaw. That that is uh, it's it's at odds with even the first film in the series. So you, I think, if you watch these two films back to back, it chapter one and it chapter two, they would feel very um, it would be like a seesaw. You, you you'd be up and down. I think it chapter two is a little bit more suspenseful, or um, I'm sorry, it chapter one is a little bit more suspenseful. It chapter two is a little bit more comedic, and I just don't know that it works. Um in the scope of, of watching these as a double feature. All right. So the whole reason I had you go first was because I thought you were going to give it a much more positive rating than me. Mm. But you fucking do the same thing I'm going to do. Give it a six. Um, I agree with all your points. Again, I think the biggest pro- flaw with this film is that it's just way too long and there's a lot of redundancies in the plot. And the whole, basically, if you, it's a retread of the first film. Um, the main fact that even though like all the actors in here are very, you know, do a fine job, um, nobody really has any growth, you know, that makes them outside of Bill Hader. And that's mainly only probably because I really, you know, we both are big Bill Hader fans. Um, he's the one that really stands out as, you know, stealing the show and being entertaining and having like a personality. Cause even like Bill, even though like, as he goes back and we did mention it, the more and more he stays in Deary. He gets his, you know, his stutter back. You know, none of the none of the characters really have like a their childhood personalities outside of Richie and Eddie. Um, 
I, I just think it's a, a big missed opportunity. The fact that it doesn't have it doesn't keep the same tense horror style, almost at times conjuring esque like horror from the first film. I don't think that the fact that it's retread helps at all again because by the time you get to the last act it's literally beat by beat the same exact thing that happened in the first one um it's just not near i just i don't think by splitting up the two films it did did it any favors because again i think the interesting part is the childhood aspects that to me that to me is the strongest you know part Mm mm-hmm you know where, and I do. I do think it's a lot because again, kids with their, you know, how they react to tension and horror is a lot more different than how adults act. Because a lot of the times, the the uh, the characters in this film don't even feel like they're scared. It's like, oh shit, fuck, here we go again. Oh shit, fuck, I'm nervous. Where you know the kids bring out the real, like, oh fuck, this you know this is scary. So. Basically, basically, what we said before is how I feel. It's kind of hard right now to put <laughs> put into words, but I think again, I think the biggest thing I can say is just missed opportunity. Yeah, and a mini series would have done this a world of better. Well, you know what? In ten years, maybe we'll get one. Probably, probably redo it again. Yeah, I think uh, you know a lot was made of the the its for this generation and. I think they did some things well, and again, it's it. I Bill Scarsdale is great as you know Pennywise. Um, a lot of like you know the way the film looks. You know, outside of some of the CGI in this film, but like the way it's shot, it's all you know very good. That uh, soundtrack's atmospheric. Again, I just don't think for how long it is, this film. It, like matches the quality of the first. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I mean, I think a lot of people now look down on the the miniseries from the nineties, but um, you know, it did some things right, and it did some things wrong. And I think that the same is true of it of, of it in its uh, sequel, it chapter two. I think it chapter one was really good. I think it chapter two kind of let people down. So you're going to get the same sort of off-kilter feeling that you got from the It miniseries. And I, I, I don't know that... Um, I don't know that It, as a novel, can really ever be adapted to film well. Uh, for one thing, it's like 1,100 pages. You just have a lot of material to work with. It's, it's, it, it, I, don't, I don't know that you can do it. It's just so hard to, to put all of that into, you know... One film. Um, TV, maybe. You know, maybe you can do it in TV. But again, a lot of what it works on as a novel is the fear that you have as a reader. So your reading of the scary stuff that Stephen King puts in is not really going to be reflected in CGI. It's what you make of it in your imagination that's really what works for this for this book. Well, again, I think that's too why I said like a lot of the stuff that happens in the background is you know like the tensest stuff because it's out of focus, you can't see it. So there's more to left to your imagination. That's something I think we both said on the podcast several times when we talk about horror films. Less is more, you know. Yeah, you've got to 
you, you've got to use some of your imagination in order to really get the scares. Because what I think is scary is going to be different than what you think is scary. Right. You know. Yep. A CGI spider head walking around. Not scary. Okay. All right. So uh, thank you for listening to our It Chapter 2 um, review, I guess, if you want to call it that. Just more, more, mostly discussion. Um, we are going to be back next week with our special Halloween series that we haven't really announced. We've said that they're going to be how um, it's going to be horror anthologies, but we haven't said exactly what we're covering. I'm going to try to put something together, like a fun video or something. Um, that kind of. You know, compiles everything together that we're going to do. I don't know. What if are we be... doing next week then? You want me to m- announce what we're doing next week? Yeah. It'd be good so they know what they're getting in. Well, I did say we're doing horror anthologies and we're starting from the 60s and we're doing decades. So we are going to start with um, Black Friday. Black Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta look at it because I can't remember what I said. What Black I, Sabbath. Black Sabbath. That's right. Jesus Christ. I forgot. 1963's Black Sabbath, directed by Mario Bava. Um, oh, you didn't tell me it was Italian. It is? Damn it. So actually. And I should have known it. It's the, not, like, the, not like Americans and British were putting out horror anthologies in the 60s. The fun thing is. Um, uh, Boris Karloff actually hosts it, so Ooh. we're gonna have some fun with this one. Um, and we and we decided that we're gonna do decades. So and we're gonna revisit a couple of decades as we go through, just because there were a couple of films that we really wanted to do. But um, we're starting with the '60s and we're gonna work our way forward. So we're starting with 1963's Black Sabbath. Should be fun times. Yeah, a little different than the the rest of the Halloween series that we do. We've done uh, the Saw series. We did Halloween series. Um, was remake a ween last year? Remake a ween. Yep. Or was that like for like no? Because Saw uh, ninety slash a month was like in May or April. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun. We're gonna do horror anthologies, and I think it'll be a good time. It was a good. It was a good idea that you had. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, check it out next week. We'll be back with Black Sabbath. We start our Halloween series. Um, thanks for listening. We are on iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, I guess they call it now, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, any podcasting app that you can think of, we're on it. So, Podbean. Yeah. Subscribe. Leave us a nice review. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. We're also on Twitter at blood and black rum. And we have an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. Write to us. Let us know what you think about the show. Uh, give us suggestions for upcoming movies that we can cover. And uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. If you would like to, you can donate to us. Any donation uh, helps fund the show, so we appreciate anything that you can give. And we hope to see you next time for our Halloween episodes. Take care.